Welcome to Lead a Horse to Water, the equine training and behaviour podcast. I'm your host, Trudy Dempsey. Before we get into this episode, just a quick reminder that you can find my courses at understandhorses.com. Not only do I have positive reinforcement-based courses, I have my Positive Horse Club there, where if you've already done training with me or taken a course with me, you can join up and become part of a very small community where we have a very interactive forum. You get feedback on your videos of training and we have a Zoom and lots of great chats on the forum. You can also find my pain and behaviour course at iaabcfoundation.org. I have one place left in Norfolk for my in-person weekend where we're going to look beyond the basics of flicker training and look more towards uh, training in hand and ridden work. And on the 10th of June, I'm sharing a clinic with the wonderful Becky Bayliss at Little Green Stables. Becky is a physio and together uh, we're going to look at not only behaviour that we see our horses display when we are working them with poles, but also some fantastic exercises to help keep your horse supple in mind and body. Don't forget Understand Horses Live at Riddle University College in Essex. That's the first weekend in July and I'll be presenting both lecture and demo uh, over that weekend. Some great people on that. So please join us there. And don't forget, if you're in Houston, Texas for the IABC conference, it's just over a week before I leave for that, please come and say hi. And don't forget, you can sign up and watch all the incredible speakers for that whole three-day package, you can watch it online. It's awesome. Get your tickets again at iabcfoundation.org. On with the podcast. Today, I'm joined by Karen Luke, uh, who is a lifelong horse enthusiast and horse owner. She's currently completing a PhD where she's investigating the relationship between horse welfare, rider safety, and rider satisfaction. She has expertise in ridden horse behaviour and training and has authored several published papers on these topics. Karen regularly presents at conferences and workshops on the topics of ridden horse welfare, horse training and rider safety. She is also interested in what motivates equestrians and helping riders develop practices that maximise their enjoyment of riding, whilst at the same time making riding fun for their horse. Hi, Karen. Welcome to the podcast. Lovely to have you here. Oh, thank you so much. It's so good to be here. And thank you for the invitation. Uh, I think we bumped into each other on LinkedIn initially, but I I realised then that I had seen several of your studies over time. Um, I think the bitless one where you compared bitless versus bitted, which, you know, one another day we might get into. Uh, and also, I think the learning theory, that was really interesting, the learning theory and the fact that uh, it didn't make a difference to welfare of horses was, yeah, really, yes. really like, oh, my goodness, that's unusual. Didn't expect that. Um, so it, it was great to bump into. And what I really love is the fact that you're looking at the ridden horse. And although some of my listeners are way down the line and have perhaps not been riding for a while, I think a lot of them really would like to be able to ride in the most ethical way possible. So we're going to have a look at your latest study. You're going to tell us a bit about that later on in the podcast. But first of all, I always like guests on their first visit to tell us a little bit about how you got into horses and 
how you got into what you're doing now a little bit. Um, you know, I, that probably would take us a whole podcast and some more, but, you know, as, as, um, give us as much information as you can so that listeners can get to know Karen. Sure, sure. Well, uh, one of my earliest memories, in fact, I think before I even started school, was sitting on my dad's lap begging for a horse. So I feel like it's a very much a lifelong passion that I've had about horses. And um, I got my first horse when I was about 12. So it took a long time for my parents to finally uh, allow me to have a horse. And I've pretty much had horses ever since. And I have um, two daughters and they also sort of had the horsey bug. Uh, so I've gone through being a child rider, an adult rider, a mum, parent of children riding, and, and now I'm sort of coming out the other side and I'm back to sort of riding on my own again, which is, is kind of different and interesting. So I've, I've had horses for a really long time. And how I got into doing this research was probably during the phase when my children were riding and I was spending a lot of time on the ground watching. And it's interesting what you notice when you start to watch and spend a lot of time just observing what other people are doing and what horses are doing. And I sort of, as, as I was watching, uh, think certain things became quite obvious to me that there were lots of horses that perhaps weren't having such a great time while they were being ridden. And that made me start to think, well, what, why is that? And what can we do to make it better for the horses? Um, and sometimes I also noticed that the riders themselves weren't having much fun either. So, you know, those couple of things really drove me to sort of think deeply about those questions. And I have a beautiful friend who um, is an academic and she said, well, why don't you go and do a PhD? <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know why, but um, okay then. And so that's basically what got me going um, in, into doing this study. And I've always loved study. And I feel like um, many of my jobs that I've done in the past, and I've done quite a few different jobs in the past, um, this is probably the one that I love the most. And um, it's, it's, a really it's a really rewarding job. And, and I feel like, um, you know, if I can do something to help horses and riders and so that future generations uh, of people can have that beautiful experience of bonding with a horse and riding a horse in a really ethical way, then I'll, I'll be happy. <laughs> mm, that, that's fantastic. I love that we were probably doing a similar thing, you know, at, at different times in our children's lives. You know, I, we lived in France for a while and I watched my daughter go through uh, some rather terrible uh, <laughs> things, competition experiences particularly, um, and it had been a while since I'd been in that sort of arena, as it were, and yeah, it, it's really difficult to watch that. But what I think is interesting is what you said there about the riders don't seem to be enjoying it much either. It's not just how poor the welfare for the horses. You know, whenever you see these awful displays of, of poor horsemanship and cruelty towards horses, it seems like the person doesn't actually enjoy doing it. You know, that they're, they're they're kind of stuck in a difficult place, and right or wrong, that is what's happened, and we need to be able to help them move away from that. And and that's one of your interests as well, really, isn't it? Looking at the the rider mentality um, to a degree, which is really interesting. Is that something from your previous life, or just something that has come out of being an academic in this field? 
Uh, well, my background is psychology, so I guess I'm intrinsically sort of interested in people and what makes them tick and those kinds of things. So to me, it was a very natural sort of fit to um, to look at the rider as well as the horse, um, because ultimately, you know, the, the decisions that a rider makes are going to directly affect the welfare of the horse. So if we can understand what is motivating the rider and, 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 and what they perceive as the choices that they have at their disposal, then I think we can go a long way to, to helping both, both partners in that relationship. So, yeah, so it's sort of come, I guess it comes directly from my background in psychology, um, just to be naturally interested in the rider as well. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. We often talk in behaviour industry uh, speak of you know oh we love working with horses or dogs or whatever the animal is but actually a lot of the work is to do with the human and very little to do with the animal so yeah it's it's a bit of a tough one when folks work that one out if they're not as keen on the human aspect of it but human behavior changes an incredible field and uh, I've got some colleagues that work really hard in, in that direction really super yes. interesting yeah so let's get to the current this is the the nub of the PhD when this is all done and dusted this is Karen doctor Karen Luke <laughs> yeah hopefully fingers crossed <laughs> yeah I'm sure so tell us a bit about this this is your most recent study and um, yeah I think from what you've said already we already know why probably you've looked at this specifically. Um, but tell us a little bit more about it and um, you know, and how you collected the data. Sure. So are you referring to the safety paper and the rider safety yeah. one? Yeah. yeah, that one, yeah. So um, basically how we collected the data, I looked at, um, I approach science perhaps a little differently to how most sort of psychologists approach it in that I approach things from a systems thinking point of view. So to take all the fancy science speak out of it, really what that means is it's just a holistic way of looking at um, animal welfare. So it really aligns beautifully with the five domains model of animal welfare where so we look at things like the horse's environment, uh, the horse's health, but then we look at things like interactions that the horse might have. So whether that's with other horses or with people. Um, and obviously those interactions involve riding. So the measure that I developed, because there actually isn't, a, there's no uh, um, validated instrument to measure ridden horse welfare. One, it doesn't, one doesn't exist. And of course, my study wasn't um, designed to create an instrument, but I needed something. So I had to put something together. So I took elements, so I created a questionnaire um, taking elements about asking riders, uh, how did they care for their horse? Like, where did their horse live? Did it live in a stable? Did it live in a paddock with some friends? Or what, what sort of situation did it live in? I asked questions about how often it might get taken out to a competition, um, and then I asked questions about uh, the equipment that people use to ride their horse in. And I asked questions about how did the horse behave under saddle. And one of the really interesting um, findings was that about 60% of horses that, um, that people responded to the survey um, about in the last seven days, 60% of them had bucked, reared, spooked or bolted. 
And that was a pretty astonishing uh, finding. That So we asked all, all the questions related to the previous seven days. So we didn't want people to sort of kind of gloss over and think about, you know, the perfect, their, you know, their horse on their best day. We wanted to find out what was your horse like in the last week. And that was sort of uh, to try and get more accurate data, I guess. And so, yeah, that was a really that was a really surprising finding. Although there's a study out of the UK that was done a few years ago, and they had slightly different um, uh, criteria, but they found ninety percent, which was uh, <laughs> that was a UK study. So that was interesting. And so, from all of that information, we then created a score, a welfare score for each horse. Now, obviously, this isn't like um, a, a measure that you would use if someone went out to a farm and measured the welfare of an animal. But it gave us enough information that we could rank all of the horses, you know, from, from what we would typically think of as poor welfare to really good welfare. And then we asked riders about their accidents and injuries. So we asked them about recent accident, accidents and injuries. So how many accidents and injuries have you had in the last seven days? And then we asked them, how many have you had in the last 12 months? And we put those numbers together and we made a score. And then what we did is we compared the welfare scores of the horses with the accident scores of the riders. And what we found was that as the welfare of the horses went up, the accidents and injuries came down. So, and the, and the good thing about uh, that uh, finding is that it means that we probably can develop something that riders can use that's useful because all of the data that we gathered came from riders themselves. Mm -hmm. So what we've captured, we know we can then use that to create something that riders can use as a bit of a tool to say, hey, you know, mm, last week I scored my horse at a 10 and this week she's only a five. What's going on? You know, maybe today's not the day to try the meter jump. Maybe today's the day to school some poles, for example. Um, so that's kind of what we hope will come out of this research, something like that so that we can help riders with really simple, usable, practical tools that can help guide the decisions that they make when it comes to their horses riding and training. Yeah, I think that's, uh, if it does even a tiny bit of that, that is awesome. But I also think from my perspective, I hope I can use it to convince people that the silly things that they think I suggest, like, you know, maybe an hour longer out in the paddock in the day or enrichment in their paddocks, those things all make a difference. And so helping that welfare score go up, because I think it's such a big gulf between a lot of the people that I see who have already, as I say, have stepped away from that sort of life and have you know, accepted that they can do better for their horses and the people that still are very traditional and haven't yet discovered that link. And here you are providing a really clear link to, hey, you improve your horse's welfare, you're going to fall off less or, you know, you're going to have less of those times where your horse is going to be barking or getting really what they might term fizzy, that good old label, you know, mm. because I think it's become normal, hasn't it? It's the, the fact that oh, horses do that. Whenever you see these videos online, 
people are saying, oh, you know, don't don't tell me that I need to get my saddle checked or, you know, I shouldn't have been riding that day. This horse is always like that. That's his personality. That's his nature. But, you know, I don't think many riders really want that personality or nature. It, it's just not a thing, is it? We don't look through the ads and go, yeah, find me a fizzy one. Find me one that bucks and rears all the time. So, you know, I think that's fascinating. What were the the authors you obviously included what did you feel when you got those results is it is it really sort of like a bit of a euphoric feeling when when you think right all the the bits that I thought would come out have come out is it is it exciting yeah it's incredibly exciting yes so I I remember running the numbers um for the very first time after we'd um collected all the data and and they came out and they were fantastic. Like they were they were they were really good and the relationships were strong and they were basically what we predicted. And then I remember thinking, oh man, maybe this is too good to be true. Let me have let me do it again. So I remember sort of running it a few different times, uh, you know, a, a few times, and then um, thinking, oh, I better just check. And 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 so it was a very a very exciting time when um, we we got those results and. And, and we found that they were really robust. It didn't seem to matter. We could sort of jiggle around with the different parameters and, and look at specific things. Even when you, we just looked at horse behaviour, for example, we still found a really strong relationship. Um, so it was, you know, the, it, it suggested to us that what we were seeing was real. Yeah. And that was incredibly exciting. Yeah. yeah yeah and it's quite scary I mean the 60% in the last seven days of horses could uh, those sort of reactive as we label mm. them, types of behaviors yeah. that's that's a high score I mean that one in the UK I must look that up is that's obviously even higher but um you know it, it is pretty scary that people are going through this every day and that's why it's becoming normal was this just an Australian study Karen Yes, yeah. So we only collected data from Australia, but it was all over Australia. Yeah. And we had riders from all different levels of competency. So we had beginners right through to professionals and we had a range of different disciplines. So we had dressage people, show jumpers, eventers, camp drafters. Um, not sure if you have those guys in the UK. We don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm now intrigued. <laughs> They they do things with cows. I'm not an expert on camp drafting. Oh, yeah, but but we had a really broad spectrum of disciplines, yeah. and and I did that deliberately because I wanted to try and get a really good cross section of across all all the sort of different sorts of riders that we have, yeah. um, which is interesting in itself in the fact that it this does seem to be something that happens it doesn't matter on your discipline you know it's something that yeah. happens across all of the disciplines so really so there was no difference um you, you split out you could see in those different disciplines um that the results look pretty similar across the board we we didn't wasn't powerful enough to specifically look okay. at the disciplines but just yeah. we didn't we there was nothing that really stood out as um any one discipline so I think it's, a, it's I think it's a finding that's um goes yeah, across the disciplines and a really interesting finding which was quite surprising was that the beginner riders were no less safe or their horses had no worse welfare than more experienced riders 
And I think that's a really interesting finding. Yeah. It is. It is. And it takes me back. If I'm not wrong, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was your learning theory one where the professional riders didn't have any greater knowledge. In fact, I think some of it, they had less knowledge than some of the intermediate riders. And the beginners had similar sort of to the professionals. And I was like, how interesting that this intermediate group are kind of getting themselves maybe along to talks and welfare you know videos there's quite a lot on the internet now so maybe the stuff filtering down to there but the professionals are still a bit stuck so I thought that was yeah really interesting so it, it it's fascinating that beginners are not seeing any less welfare maybe it's the type of beginner we're getting now maybe people are more informed when they're getting into it but yeah it, that that's really really fascinating to me where yeah. do you see this going? Would you like to see this replicated you know, across the world or would you like to see your, as, as you discussed already, this measure for riders to be developed? Is that where it, it, you see it, its main strength now? Look, I think, I think having it replicated is always helpful. You know, it would be great to have it. Having said that, though, you know, my findings were not dissimilar to the ones of the UK study that was done. I think it was done back in around 2012, 2013. Um, but, it, you know, it, it's always helpful if, if you can find that perhaps in another, you know, location in the world you get similar results would be great. But I think definitely the time, and this is my personal bias, I guess, I, I feel like we have so much information. There is so much science out there that whilst more science is always welcome and always needed. I think the real frontier in horse research, though, is in application, is yeah. let's now get that, get all of this knowledge that we have out to the people and the horses who need it. Um, so to me, that's where I would, that's where my focus will be. Um, yeah. So once I finish this PhD, which hopefully won't be too far away, um, that that's the focus of my next project is cool. is taking this information and working out how best we can apply it and make it accessible for for riders. Awesome. So that's Karen Luke on the road with her <laughs> information telling the world. But we need to, you know, it, it's it can feel like it's a, a hard gig sometimes trying to talk to the more traditional crowd who are yet not quite there with the welfare and understanding that link but I think it's really really important that we get there and that we maybe get some professional riders on board I don't know whether it's uh, like that in the in Australia certainly I know the Australian Pony Club posts some fantastic stuff they're really out there and I hope our Pony Club can be even a tiny bit like that you know I share quite a lot of the, the, the brilliant stuff that they do um, so you know do you feel in Australia the, that it has might have the support of some professional riders would that be somewhere we could try and you know get it out to people more do you think? Look, I think there's probably a lot of similarities between Australian professional riders and the British ones. But that being said, I think every day more and more people start to come along this journey. And I think the professionals won't be any different. Um, but maybe there are other things at play that make it a bit more difficult for the professionals. But, you know, I'm sure that they care and love for their horses just as much as the rest of us so I'm sure that they will come along on this journey with us so it's just a case of 
I think how we make it accessible, how we can make it apply to their, you know, their world and the things that they need to deal with. But, um, you know, I'm really optimistic um, about how this, you know, how this can move forward. And and there's so much change that's happened already. Um, I think we're at a real sort of tipping point and I'm, I'm sure I, I, I'm sure that we will we will get there so yeah but yeah. you know it's just a case of yeah like I said I think if we can make things accessible and make them um so that people see that they have application to what they're trying to achieve and what they're trying to do with their horses then I think we'll get there for sure yeah I think it's really important I think it's important people always talk about professionals and they have to lead the way they're the role models but actually I think it's also a part of the grassroots job to kind of push for more push for better look I turn my horse out like this why aren't you you know yeah sure you're flying your horse across the world and going to competitions but when they're off can they not be doing this so I think yeah we all have a voice and I get very frustrated when people say but you're not an international competitor so you can't know but I think we all you know for the horse's sake need to be able to to you know, use something like your study to be able to say, look, it's it's better for everybody. All those people that look up to you are going to be a lot safer if they see you applying these things. I, I remember when um, they stopped wearing top hats. Well, some people still, I think, wear top hats in dressage. But, you know, re- re- wearing helmets was like, oh, no, you can't do that. This is dressage. It's, it's never been done. But it takes one or two um, at the top level and then it becomes it's it's OK. So I think the odd professional jumping over and saying yeah we could we could do this would be fantastic but the grassroots people have just as much of a voice and and probably have quite a lot of purchase power when it comes to following their heroes and uh, buying the gear that they uh, (laughs) have got in their name a lot of the time so yeah that would be really interesting to see that I wonder when you think about your daughters and when they were riding and if you went back to that now with all the knowledge that you have it kind of almost makes it worse in a way knowing that you have an answer and that you could improve it you know that frustration isn't it and how do we how do we get that across to you know not the professionals I'm thinking about the riding schools the riding clubs do you think it's just the same message is everything just the same and we just provide it differently to the riding clubs or is there something special when you have a group of riders that are united through their club or whatever is there something special we need to say to those groups of people oh that's such a that's such a good question and I don't know that I have a really great answer to that one um I think that we have to start just by having conversations like these and I think the more conversations we have like these and I think that as people as you say your a lot of your audience have sort of moved over um as more and more of people start to move over I think um part of my job is to give these people who are perhaps pushing back against practices that they know are poor and lead to poor welfare I guess giving them the information that they need to say hey, look, I know that this is the right thing to do for my horse. And it's okay, you know, it's not my job to tell people what they need to do or should do, but I feel like it is my job to give people the information so they can make a really good choice. Um, So if we can equip those people in the riding clubs and the coaches and the administrators, you know, if we can give those people the information that they need to say, hey, we are going to change this, 
And the reason we're going to change it is because we know that this is going to lead to better outcomes for our horses. And also maybe our, our members are going to have more fun and they're going to be safer at the same time. So this is, this is a decision that we've made. So I think if we empower people in that way, um, I don't think we necessarily have to craft special messages as such to different audiences, but we do need to make sure we can engage with people and they can see that this isn't trying to take anything away from them. This is actually trying to enhance their experience and the experience of their horse. Yeah. Um, I think that's really, that is, that's the, to, for me, that's the key message. It's, it's not that we're trying to stop you from riding or stop you from doing the things that you'd like to do, but here are some things that we can give you so that um, this is going to be better for everybody involved and also protect the longevity of equestrian sport. Like yeah. in Australia here, for example, you know, jumps racing um, is banned, I think, in just about every state except Victoria. And so things like that, that's those changes are real. And, you know, if we don't, start to improve the welfare of horses is a possibility that one day in the future those opportunities for people to ride and have fun may not be there so I think if we can engage and help people to, to sort of um, see the benefits of those practices then I think that's going to be um, the, the best outcome we can hope for. Yeah that's really interesting about the jump racing because I, I think the rest of the world kind of went what when that yeah. happened and yeah and when people talk now about social license to operate you know I think that is often cited as look what's happened in Australia um, incredibly and people think oh no that could never happen in the UK or the money in racing but I'm gonna guess there's probably a lot of money in racing in Australia too so you know it's it, it can happen and I think we need to be having those conversations and I'm finding that inc increasingly now that that is a conversation that pe people are having you know if we don't tighten up now we're going to lose it in the future and you know I think as well for me you know obviously this is ridden horse but giving people that opportunity to do the things they like which is interact with the horse perhaps compete in some way whether we like that or not a lot of people do like it and giving them other things to do, say, if their horse isn't well enough to be ridden, you know, if they're, if they're retired, but they still need some cognitive fun for their horse as well, that there are things that they can do. And there's lots more of that available now to people worldwide. And you can do stuff on the Internet. You don't even have to leave home. So, you know, it's getting that information out, I think, to the riding club end of things that, that could be useful you know it's like your horse is not just a riding machine you can do other stuff as well and that will help your riding again it just ticks that welfare box so I think with people like uh, Pony Club Australia on the case uh, if more and more of these you know groups can come together we then start to have a package where people feel comfortable I mean one of the things I really hate about what I do is that there are a lot of people who teach with positive reinforcement based methods who then say you can't do anything else you can't use negative reinforcement you have to be in this camp and then you've got the traditional people know that I'm in this camp I don't want to be a snowflake and, and I when you go to traditional yards that are run really well and the horse is first and forefront there's such a lot of good practices and the horses are often fit and fed correctly 
and are going to live good lives. And, and yet there's this the snowflake, as we might be termed, brigade, will say that, oh, no, that's just dreadful, because all they're seeing is these photographs of horses with great big bits and frothing at the mouth. And they think that is every person in every area of, of the professional world of, of horses. And it really isn't. I see some lovely things when I go to more traditional yards it's not completely black and white is it so I'd love us to be able to use these sorts of tools that that you're creating to to bring that together and say look you might not be ready to be this and we don't need you to be this you can just be more considerate of your horse's welfare and and know that that's going to help you too so I, I'm really excited that this sort of thing is coming out Karen and you know thanks for for doing that I will put a link to that in the show notes, which I know you're going to send me beforehand so that I get all the right bits. Um, and also, I know that you have your website, just equestrian solutions, which sounds fantastic, dot com. Um, and again, I shall put that in the show notes. What can you offer the listener? Where might Karen be in the next year? Where are, where are you talking? Are you talking to more professional bodies or are you doing things that people might be able to find online? from a more personal uh, direction where where are you and what are your plans uh, I am actually coming over to the UK in <gasps> June <laughs> really so, yeah so I'm speaking at a conference in June um, and running a workshop over there for academics um, but you know I have possibilities to catch up with people while I'm over there probably um, awesome. and essentially most of my, uh, work, most of my focus in the next year will be just getting the, my PhD finished. Yeah. Um, there's a bit of, uh, speaking involved, um, with the conference in June and there may be something a little later in the year, but that will be my primary focus. And then, as I said, I'll, my, my next project will be, uh, trying to help, um, share all the information that we have with writers so whether that's face-to-face -face or online I'm not quite sure yet um but yeah it'll be things like that I wish I could offer more definitive things but <laughs> the life of a, a research student is is um a bit of a solitary one until you get done so yeah yeah, yeah. So, but I'm really looking forward to coming over in June Oh yeah, that that's awesome. I maybe hopefully somebody might you know like any a speaking engagement. That would be awesome while you're here. But uh, we'll have to have to push some people. Um, you've told us lots of little nuggets about the study. W was there anything that we've missed that you really think people should know about? You know, I'm particularly interested in that how it's been perceived already that that people might be thinking gosh, yes, I can, I can feel safer. Do you think people can feel safer knowing that by improving the welfare, they're going to have more fun and less bucking and rearing and all those reactive things? Uh, yeah, I think most definitely. And I think even like the one thing I would like people to take from this study is if your horse, um, if your horse is normally a really easy um, going horse and you know you don't have problems and something changes really take notice of that because that is that's your horse telling you something's not quite right 
you know, so I, I think often, and myself included, I, you know, I put my hand up and I've done this too. You know, I've I've got ready to go for a ride. I've taken the horse to the arena. I've hopped on, and for whatever reason, the horse is just a little bit unhappy. It might be a bit of extra tail swishing. Um, whatever it might be, but those little signs really are, you know, indicators that we should listen to, you know, if you've got a, you know, so that would be the one thing because the horse can't say, tap you on the shoulder and say, Hey, you know, not today, you know, they can only behave how a horse behaves. So that would be the one thing, like really tune into those things and take notice of them. And because often, you know, I might hear riders say, well, you've mentioned it before, you know, oh, he's always like that. Well, if if your horse is always grumpy and always unhappy, he shouldn't be or she shouldn't be, you know, because that's not the normal demeanour of a horse. Um, but if your horse is normally really easygoing and happy and for whatever reason on a particular day they're not, that's a sign to say, hey, maybe today I'll take you for a walk and a green pick or maybe today we will just walk around and, you know, just go for a little trail ride or whatever it might be. But but today's not the day for trying something new um, or it's doing things that the horse finds easy. And then tomorrow, because we don't know what happens to them in the paddock, they could have tweaked something or it doesn't mean it's a catastrophe and you can never do what it is you want to do. It just means maybe today's not the day. And I think if riders can tune in and make those choices, realising that it's not ever it's maybe just today or this week then I think that will lead to riders being safer and horses being happier mm, uh, that is just such a, a such great advice and we're always saying it on the podcast observe your horse know what your baseline normal is and if baseline normal as you say is bucking and rearing then I think you have a problem um, but if it's normally like this mellow horse and one day they're not or it's just that reluctance to go to the mountain block or reluctance to leave the yard that day and you think maybe I'll leave it I think people worry then or then the next day he'll know because he knows he got out of it by not going to the mountain block but horses generally aren't like that and I find the more choice you give a horse the more times they'll actually choose to do things with you if you're listening to them so that's just fantastic advice Karen and uh, I hope that more people take that advice and, and go forwards with that so that's awesome thank you for bringing that one up um I'd love to know because you know like me I came into I, I've been in horses since I was tiny and then I went off and had other careers and then you know 30 years ago I got into training horses and you know moved off towards behavior and did stuff and it's always interesting for people to know how did you, you very um you're very blase oh I, I somebody suggested I became an academic and I did it you know that doesn't sound so easy so is there a route if, if somebody is watching their daughter at pony club or is seeing something in their horse and they think oh I can't do I can't do science I can't do studies how how is there a way in Karen how how did you get into you know being this wonderful academic and doing such fantastic research um, well, my advice would be if you see something and you want to go and, and research it, my advice is to to do it, you know. Um, is it easy? Um, it probably looks easy at this point in the process, but it took me a really long time. I did already have a degree, so that made it easier. And if you ask any of my friends or family, I am a really serious nerd. So... <laughs> 
<laughs> um, I love studying. I've always loved studying. Um, so, you know, it, it is a bit like a duck to water for me and it's clear and it's definitely not that for everybody, but if you really want to do it, my, I would just encourage people to, to take the plunge and, and start. And, and the way that you need to start is you need to have a project in mind. So if you want to go and do research in, a, in a, an institution, you do need to have an undergraduate degree in, in something. Um, I was fortunate mine was in psychology, um, which gives you a lot of scope. Um, but you need to develop a project um, and have a really clear idea of, of what it is you want to, to find, what question you want to find the answer to. And, and then go and find, uh, the other piece of advice would be go and find some academics to help you. In By and large, academics are incredibly generous people. They're generous with their time. Um, they're usually incredibly busy. Um, but having said that, they're usually incredibly generous. So if you are serious and you've put some work into something and and you do want to pursue it, find someone who does research and, and get them to help you. And, and I would be surprised if you find people who wouldn't help you. And if they can't, they may not be the right person that when you approach someone, but they'll generally point you in the direction of someone who can. So, you know, it, it is a bit of a, a bit of a leap of faith, but and, and it is a lot of hard work. So it probably took me a year to put together my proposal. So just to give people some context and expectation of how long, um, it took me about a year to put together a, a proposal that was solid enough that I could get accepted into a into a, a degree. Yeah. So I hope that's helpful information. Yeah. <laughs> and and what I love is yeah, being at the other end of my career now is being able to put people together. So when I run courses, I often meet people, I meet people like you on uh, the internet. And it's fantastic to be able to put people together to say, you know, maybe if you could ask this person for five minutes of their time, they'll point you in the right direction. And, and that is, as you say, certainly with academics, and I find most professionals, the real professionals uh, within equestrianism are the same they everyone's out for helping the horse and the human that's attached to the horse as much as possible so yeah hopefully uh you aren't going to be bombarded now by people <laughs> she's busy be... guys she's busy she's, she's got to i would gladly people. be bombarded <laughs> that just yeah, means that's... more more helpers out there helping yeah. us so yeah, yeah well that that's great yeah and uh, but yeah let her finish let her get a writing of a phd finish first and then and and then you can bombard her and just remember that website just equestriansolutions.com is where you can find karen we'll put that in the show notes and we'll also uh, put some links to her other studies which honestly if you've got time have a nose around because they're they're really fascinating most most of them seem to be or a lot of them seem to be open access as well karen which is really really nice I get so frustrated you know trying to share things and when they're behind a paywall which I understand but you know if we want the word to get out it's fantastic when these are open access so yeah wonderful yeah well if you go to my website you can have access to all of the papers so you can so yes so there if you run into a paywall you can find them on my website that's awesome. Brilliant information. So, guys, so you've just got to check out Karen's website. Um, Karen, I hope our paths are going to cross again soon 
because I think there's just so much more that we'd love to talk to you about. Uh, so thank you so much for taking the time today. And it's been really fascinating. And um, yeah, good luck with the PhD. I know it's going to be a done deal. And uh, next time I'm going to be having to call you doctor. <laughs> thank you so much. And it's been a pleasure. And I've really enjoyed chatting to you. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I always enjoy recording these podcasts. Please share it as far and wide as you can. I think it's so important that these things get out into the wider equine community. Until next time, bye.